time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. Hey, this is Lee Balkum, and this is the Thrivology Podcast, the podcast designed to help you thrive no matter what life throws at you. And life is throwing stuff at us these days, isn't it? In fact, I find it necessary for me to give you a big warning about something that is very contagious. Here's the scary thing about this. It's highly contagious. In fact, you can catch it even just from exposure from one person. Here's the bigger problem. It's even more contagious when you're in a crowd. It's so much easier to catch this thing when you're in a crowd. This contagion is so powerful that it can spread through a crowd almost instantly. Now, here is the bigger concern. Even if you're isolating yourself, if you're staying away from everyone around you, you can still catch this just from what you read, what you watch, and what you hear. Okay, you've probably figured it out. I'm not actually talking about COVID-19. Now, let me be very clear that we do need to take that very seriously. I am not at all downplaying or disregarding that. This is not even about the pandemic itself. I think that we have to take every single precaution. When this was just starting up, I got a pretty clear idea that this was going to be something that affected us. I had no idea how it would affect us, but it was very clear that it was going to have some substantial changes in our culture. And, and I think we're going to watch that play out really over the next, I don't know, 12 to 18 months as this unwinds and as we figure out a new way of a being and as we watch this affect friends and other people around us, this is going to be a tough event. So let me be very clear. I am not at all downplaying or minimizing or trying to say that COVID-19 is not a problem. But what I want to talk about is the fear and the anxiety that a lot of people are experiencing on top of that. Now, there's no way I can take all of that away, but I want us to talk some about how this fear piece, this anxiety piece doesn't serve us as we try to respond to this situation. So first of all, just to be clear, I'm not suggesting you not take action. I'm suggesting you take every action to stay safe. And when the government and other officials are telling you that you need to limit exposure, please do that. When they're talking about how we need to take care of our bodies and how we need to uh, clean things and stay away from other people and try to protect both ourselves and others, please pay attention to that. That's not what this is about. I'm not at all trying to downplay it. I'm not even trying to criticize or critique or understand people's actions in that as much as our emotional response to what's going on around us. You see, emotions are the contagion I was talking about. I don't know if you're aware of how contagious emotions can be, but we catch it from people around us and from groups around us and from what we read when we're reading articles and books and watching movies and TV and the news and all of the social media that's around us. Those emotions are contagious. And that's the problem. We can easily both catch and spread the fear and anxiety around us. This is not just true during the midst of, of a pandemic. It's true every day. 
it was true before this came up. It will be true after the pandemic is past. We will still be dealing with the fact that emotions are contagious. And here is the bigger thing. Anxiety and fear are the most virulent. They're the easiest to catch. It can spread like wildfire. And you've probably been in places where that's been true. Maybe you've been in a situation at work where suddenly something happened and everybody suddenly went into lockdown mode. Everybody went into fear and anxiety mode. It can happen in families too. So why is that the case? Well, recently I had a client who contacted me. Their marriage was in trouble and they said, you know, is this something I should panic about? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Should I panic about this? I had another person who contacted me and told me about their job situation and said, should I panic? Then years ago, back in 2008, which was kind of the last time we had something that really uh, ripped into our culture, the person was talking to me about the investments they had and said, should I panic about that? More recently, I've had people ask me about this virus. Should I panic about that? My answer to all of those is no. For one simple reason, panic is never helpful. (laughs) It never serves us. If we're asking the question, should I panic? That's different than the question, should I be concerned? Should I prepare for this? Should I start taking action? Those are absolutely true. The panic part, when people are asking, should I have an emotional response? The answer to that is it's never helpful. Now, that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Understand that just because you can see that fact and ask that question doesn't mean there's not going to be panic at times. We all have panic points. There's a reason for that. And the reason is because of how we are wired. So should you respond to something? Yes. And what we respond with when we can is out of common sense and known facts. Not a question of choosing panic because it it can come upon us, but how can we be aware of how that's affecting us at any one time? Let's talk just for a minute about why this even happens, just so you kind of have an understanding. And then I want to talk about some things you can do to limit the infection. So I want you to think back on when you have watched those uh, wildlife movies that pan into the the watering hole, you know, where all the animals have to gather because they are all trying to find that place to get a drink of water. And they're having to, to kind of uh, weigh out, is it worth the danger of getting a drink with the exposure that happens? So if you think about that moment as an animal is approaching the watering hole, he can look around at that point and see all around him and see if there are any predators around But when the animal leans over to drink, suddenly the view is very limited. There's a lot more vulnerability. So the most dangerous moment for that animal is drinking and and getting what he has to have. And so he or she has to have water to survive. And it's a balancing act. Do I go now and get my drink and risk something coming at me? Or do I thirst to death? And so animals choose to get what they have to have, but they have to be on guard. So if you notice, all the animals when they're gathering, well, not so much the predators, but all the prey animals are all twitchy as they're going up to the watering hole. They're all waiting for some sign. And what they're trying to do is make sure that they can react fast enough to get away from the danger. So what's interesting to watch is if one gets a little bit spooked, a little bit worried, 
all of the others suddenly follow. They all start getting in, in the same process. They all start going into a panic mode. And they all do it almost instantly. Now, if you're walking down the street and you see somebody, in about 39 milliseconds, your brain is already processing, is this somebody who's safe or is it somebody I have to be careful about? It's instantaneous. Your brain is trying to process. Is this a risk? It's the same thing that's happening at the watering hole. You're walking along and you see somebody and there's a part of you that's already twitchy, right? That's already asking the question, do I need to be concerned or not? Now, it's always better to overreact to the possibility of a threat if you're trying to survive. That's always the case. If you're trying to stay away from a a predator, the prey at the watering hole is better off jumping up and moving back and reassessing if it's safe or not. Not jumping back and moving back leaves you vulnerable to attack. So over the millennia, the gene pool that's now here is more twitchy, (laughs) more able to respond more instantaneously to the possibility of a threat, whether it's a true threat or not. The hairpin trigger, the twitchy that comes along with that, it's always better to overreact and underreact to a physical threat. So the antelope at the water hole is much better off suddenly jumping up and running away and coming back for water when it seems a little safer than hanging out and waiting to, to have the cat jump on it and take it down. That's just how those gene pools keep following. And so the ones that were a little more brave, a little too brave, that hung out too long to get the water, those gene pools were eliminated. <laughs> that gene batch was eliminated from the possibility. And so over time, we have all kind of mutated or moved to being more and more twitchy and more and more able to respond to a threat that's a possibility even, not even a definite threat, which means that these days we can easily catch as humans the anxiety and the fear from other people. It infects us instantly because we have this thing in our brain, these neurons in our brain called mirror neurons. Those mirror neurons allow you to tune in to how somebody else is feeling, to get a feel for them. And it does two things at one time. First, it lines us up with other people that are in our group so that we have empathy for them. But second, it also allows us to notice when somebody else might be a threat. Those mirror neurons are looking for the people to connect with and the people to be safe from. And so at the same moment, your brain is asking, how do I understand what you're feeling? And it's saying, is there a threat here that I need to respond to? Those mirror neurons are doing great stuff because that's how we also learn things. Children watch the parents and they learn from the parents and they kind of mimic them. And that's the mirror neurons in process. We can kind of imagine what somebody's thinking or feeling, and we respond to that. So a lot of our unconscious and nonverbal behavior that we're picking up on is caused by these neural uh, pathways, the mirror neurons that are looking for the places to be careful about. You have those encoded, but we forget about it. And so sometimes we allow ourselves to be infected when there is no usefulness to the infection. We have ourselves in panic mode instead of a response mode. And see, what I'm trying to stay away from is the panic, the fear, not the responsibility, the responsible actions where we have the ability to choose how we're going to respond. 
So the danger point is for us to get caught in panic and fear, or because we don't want to be fearful and panicky, we move to the other extreme and ignore. That doesn't work either. We have to find the mid-path where we can deal with the anxiety, deal with the fears, and take action that's going to help us. So how do we work to limit our infection? Let me suggest a few things. The first one is limit your exposure. Now, how do you do that? Well, the one of the things that I take to is a media diet. It's not a media fast. I've done that before where I refuse to take in any information from news, uh, at least on a very limited basis. So that's a, that would be a media fast. These days, I think you need some information. I think you need to understand what's changing, what scientists are saying, what the trends are. All those things are important. So we go on a media diet, which means that you choose your media wisely. So what's the media? For instance, I see a lot of people who are doing a lot of panicky stories or disregarding stories on Facebook and on Twitter and on other social media. They may not be the best places to be getting your information unless, except for, from some trusted sources. When we're just spreading memes one way or the other, we're only leading from a place of opinion, not from fact. And the same is true when we're watching news. We need to be careful about the sources of news. Remember that news has two purposes, and they're balancing those two purposes. One is they're there to pass along information. But the other is they're there to keep your eyeballs on TV. And one way you can make sure that people keep watching is if you stir their fears. Fear will have you on alert. Fear will keep you watching to make sure that you have everything in there, even after you've already gotten everything you need. There's only so much you can take in before it's an overload. So we have to make sure that we go on a media diet and choose wisely. Don't overindulge. Decide how much is useful and decide not to follow any more than that. Find a couple of sources, one or two, maybe three sources that will give you good information stripped of all of the scary stories associated. For instance, I go to the CDC page on COVID-19. also go to the WHO page, that's the World Health Organization page, for their updates. And I also follow the Johns Hopkins page on COVID-19, and that's about all I try to do. For a long time, I was reading lots of other things, and I realized I was just getting a lot of stories that were fear-based and would create fear within me. And so I've had to drop back and go, okay, what's important to know? What's changed in their approach? So I go to the sources that are going to give me the facts, not the stories that elicit the fears. So limit your exposure. Number two, practice self-calm. Remember, the, those mirror neurons are firing, and so we have to practice, consciously choose to practice self-calm. And there's some ways you can do that. One is breathing. The biggest thing is just to pay attention to your breathing. In a, in a few episodes from now, I'm going to be interviewing the author of the book, Breath, who talks about how underestimated the power of breathing is. And he's going to talk to us some about how to work through that. But just to get you a head start, one of the things that I've gotten from reading a uh, pre-copy uh, of his book is that what we're really trying to do is breathe through our nose, in and out of our nose, if possible. Sometimes this time of year, that might not be possible. But as much as you can to nose breathe, 
that actually changes the chemical response in your body to nose breathe. The second is to breathe slowly in and out. That's even when we're exercising. I've been trying to adapt my breathing style when I'm exercising to a slow breathing in and out all of the time. That calms the vagal system and it also allows the body to get a full dose of the oxygen from that. So just breathing in and out slowly, like to a five or six count in and a five or six count out through your nose. Those are great ways of doing that. We're going to talk about some other techniques to that, but just practice that kind of breathing and make sure you're breathing into your belly using your diaphragm. I've talked about that in other podcasts, but breathe deeply into your diaphragm rather than just allowing your chest. In fact, if you're doing a slow breathe in and a slow breathe out, the only way you can do it is by breathing through your diaphragm. The next thing on uh, practicing self-care is to get some exercise. Remember all of that chronic Buildup has to be released somehow. Our bodies are not made to be holding in all of the adrenaline, all the energy that we're getting pumped into us right now. And so to, to find some way of exercising, even if it's a quick walk or doing some weightlifting or doing some exercise that's going to allow your body just to move because that's how your body processes uh, that adrenaline. So find some way of exercising, even if it's 10, 15 minutes a day, just find some way of getting something, even if you have to just walk around your house or walk around your apartment or go up and down the steps somewhere, find some way of just getting a little bit of movement so that you can process through that. The next way to deal with it is by practicing meditation or prayer, depending on uh, what you like to do, but some way of just quietly sitting with yourself and, and noticing your thoughts and realizing that those are just thoughts in your head and allowing them to pass. The nature of prayer is listening. In my mind, it's listening. Meditation is quieting. Both of those are a receptive way of understanding the thoughts that are passing through and the fact that we can release them and let them go somewhere else. Another way associated with that is mindfulness. You know, sometimes when I find myself overwhelmed, I just have to say, okay, here I am right now. Let me feel, let me smell, let me hear everything around me. And I just kind of go through a body scan of relaxing my muscles and listening to the sounds around me and wondering what I'm smelling, feeling the seat underneath me or the floor underneath me or whatever's holding me up, feeling the clothes on me, returning back to my body in this moment, in this time. You see, fear and anxiety are based in another time zone. They're a what if. They're into the future. They're always asking what's going to happen. So when we pull ourselves back to the present moment, we can recenter ourselves and begin to find a more mindful place to be in the world that's in the moment. Another way is to plan your worry. If you just find yourself constantly worrying about it, say, okay, I'm going to devote 15 or 20 minutes this afternoon to that. Pick a time, 2 to 2.15 is your worry time, and you sit down and you just worry through that, and whenever a worry comes up any other time, just say, okay, I'll worry about that when it's my worry time. Don't choose that unless you need it, but it, that's one way of corralling the worries into one little area and just leaving them there. And so at 2.15, you say, okay, I'm done worrying, and you can move on. It allows your brain to, to recognize that there's a place that you're going to get to worry and it can let it go to that point. 
It begins to allow a habit to to build up. And what I would suggest if you do that is you start narrowing the window. So maybe for a couple of weeks, you give yourself 15, 20 minutes, and then you go back to 10 or 15 minutes, and then five or 10 minutes until you've eliminated it to as small a window as possible. And just use that as your devoted worry time so that the rest of the time, you just know you're going to add it to that list when it's time. And then the final thing is to practice routine. Fear often pulls us out of our routine. Routine pulls us back into a place where we know what's going on. Right now, for many of us, our routines are upside down. Try to find a new routine that you establish. Whatever your morning routine and your evening routine, those are probably the most important two anchor points. When you get up to just get your day started without a whole lot of adrenaline having to flow through as you're trying to figure out what has to happen and before you go to bed. So you're at a calmer state. So find your routine, even if it's a new routine, and practice that as regularly as possible. These are the days to not allow things to get in the way of our routine. This is the day to stick to our routine. Okay, so the third way of limiting the infection is to connect, but connect with people who are in agreement with you that we need to limit our exposure. Find a group of people who are willing to talk about things in an aspirational way or just to check up on each other and say, how are you doing? And to not go into all of what media is feeding us right now, to find a safe place to connect with people and to reach out with people that you care about. We are wired for connection and relationship. So allow that connection and relationship to be a part of your life. And if you're having a hard day, to have somebody you can say, you know, it's really a hard day and I need to, to fight this back. I need to reclaim my calm. I need to stop allowing the infection to take away my life. Because what I've noticed is that many of us are feeling like our life is on pause, but our life continues to pass. Days continue to pass. I found some people who have decided that they're going to do something different. They're going to work on moving through something else, which brings me to my fourth thing, to practice self-expansion. I've talked to a number of people who are doing what I'm doing, writing a book during this time or picking up a new project or a new hobby or doing something else that allows them to expand themselves into new areas. Because when we're growing, when we're learning new things... We're not in that panic mode. We're not in that fear mode or anxiety mode. We're expanding ourselves to bigger and better places. So pick a project. Find some place to self-expand into. Look for people who are doing the same thing. Maybe there's a hobby you want to return to or a new hobby you want to try out. Or maybe there's a project you want to take on or a goal that you have to achieve. It's a great time to learn to play an instrument. There's so many resources on the internet now. Maybe learn a new foreign language. Maybe write a book. Maybe learn more about yourself. Take some um, self-assessments or more training online or more online courses or find somewhere to say, I am expanding into a new place. When we're expanding and growing, we're thriving. When we're thriving, we're not allowing the fear to catch us. These can be fearful times. So please hear me say, don't disregard what we need to do to take action. But to answer the question, do I need to panic? No. Simply for the reason that panic is never helpful. It never moves you in a direction that you want to go. And it always pulls us away from our responses that we want to make that lead us to a thriving life. If this has been helpful, I would love it if you would check out some of my books on thriving. 
you can find them by going to thriveology.com slash books. That's thriveology.com slash books. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you work to build your thriving life. listening to the Thriveology podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at thriveology.com or at thriveologymagazine.com. Remember that Thriveology is spelled T-H-R-I-V-E-O-L-O-G-Y. It's your life. Time to live it. Uh-huh.